Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari. Now, what I like to do is I like to add a little clout to this show. And I don't like to just have people that came along five minutes ago and start talking to them. I like to have some of the more experienced folks, some of the people that us makers have been looking up to for a long time. And I have one of those guys today, Steve Carmichael. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Vincent? Good. I am so excited to have you on because I the first weekend I found you, I was actually looking for, oddly enough, I was looking for scroll saw videos because I had just gotten a scroll saw. I was trying to figure out how to use it, and you have a lot of those on your channel. Yeah, yeah, I do. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem. I am really, really excited because you have been on YouTube for six years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, nobody, I, I, you know, so as, as we record this, I've already recorded the episode so I can say it. I had Steve Ramsey on last week and he is at 10 years. So you guys are basically like the grand poobahs of woodworking on YouTube. Uh, uh, that's amazing. How do you, what do you attribute your longevity to? What, what keeps people coming back and what keeps you interested in making YouTube videos for that long? I think uh, when I started, I really had no intention of going this far, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> I just started to you know, share some videos. I, I shared one to enter a contest, and I shared some for my friends to watch and things like that. And uh, people started commenting on my videos, you know, strangers, <laughs> people I didn't know. And I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. So I... I it's like I started having conversations and meeting people on the internet, and then I started uh, meeting the other uh, woodworkers on YouTube. So I see your yeah, sticker it, on everybody's sticker wall. Like you are like beloved. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have sent out so many stickers. I don't want to even add up how much postage costs. Wrong. <laughs> but but yeah, I, but the great thing is I get stickers back from everyone too. So that's cool. It, uh, yeah, I mean, you have the most advanced. What we well, you have a rotating sticker wall, which is one of your cooler projects. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like basically a ceiling fan for stickers. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I started out just entering a contest, posting videos for family and friends to watch, and just to show people what I what I'm making in my shop, and it just kind of kept going, and um, and the more I did it, the more people watched, the more subscribers I got, and then companies started contacting me, and it was like, you know, all just kind of <laughs> accidentally happened, I guess. You had uh, your, your first big hit was how to print, which, was, which is weird, was how to print screen shirts, how to yeah, screen print t-shirts. So yeah. That was your first one million video, I'm guessing. Yeah, it, yeah. definitely. And uh, that was a complete surprise, because... <laughs> What what happened was I was playing in a local cover band. I played drums, and uh, we had probably a good five-year run playing the local sports bars and stuff. And I started, uh, uh, back in seventh grade, uh, I had an art teacher who taught us how to do basic screen printing. So I thought, well, maybe I could do that again and print our band's t-shirts. So... Uh, I went out and got some basic supplies, and uh, actually, it actually worked. So I started printing the T-shirts for our band, and then somebody in one of the other bands asked me how I did it. So I thought, well, I'll just do a video so they can watch it, you know, just in case anyone else asks. I can just show them the video, you know. And so I put it on YouTube, 
I sent the link to uh, the other the band member from the other band, and he watched it. And then all of a sudden, everybody else started watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like and, a magical process that no one really understands. So you know, it's kind of yeah. cool that you that was your that was like your first mega hit. Yeah, and uh, people started screen printing businesses after watching that and trying it and getting really into it and. Wow, you know, uh, you know, they will leave me a comment that says, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting a business of screen printing," but they <laughs> they like the fact that you can try the method that I did and get the supplies for about you know sixty seventy dollars, yeah, and just try it out and see if it's something they like before they invest a lot of money in like pro equipment and, and supplies. It, that's uh-huh. amazing. Like so, you, you know, you're doing these. You're doing. You start out doing woodworking projects, and then this one just explodes out of the gate. And do you start thinking, oh, maybe I need to not do as much woodworking and do more like making type projects, or was that just like, no, I really want to do the woodworking, but this this is just going to be a one off thing. Yeah, I really want to do the woodworking, and mm-hmm. I, I've been doing woodworking since I was a kid. I've always. Um, you know, I remember as a kid making things for presents for people. Like I remember making a coat rack for my parents, which was basically just two by fours in an X, you know, on the for <laughs> yep. the base, and a two by two screwed to it with those coat hooks attached to the top. You know, simple stuff like that. But Ironically, most of us still make them the same way. So yeah. <laughs> you were way ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But but then you know, as I got older, I I found myself. You know, whenever I would look for something in a store that I needed, like speaker stands or uh, things like that, uh, I would always ask myself, is this something I could make and could I make it better and make it more customized to suit my needs and be the size that I needed, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's where a lot of it comes from is uh, before I buy something, I don't know, something in my head just, you know, it triggers me and asks myself, you know, is this something I can make and make it cheaper and make it better and more customized? So yeah, you I think, don't you don't strike me as the type to like go to IKEA and buy furniture. It just doesn't seem to be your kind of personality. No, no, I've <laughs> I've, I've been there once and looked around and kind of got lost in their maze of a store. <laughs> it's, but it, yeah, I do the same thing. Like I'll go into like IKEA or like particularly I'm I'm a bit of a. I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit of a hipster when it comes to furniture. So I like go, going to West Elm and looking around and going, oh, that's really nice, but I'm not spending 400 bucks on that. Like, I, I'm going to try to make something like that. Or it's something that I'll keep in my back burner. Like, when I need something, I'll steal that design and just make it because there's no way in hell I can afford to spend that kind of money. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's my the benefit wife, of being a woodworker, right? <laughs> yeah. My wife, she's bought a few things from Ikea that, or just like utility type things, like small bookshelves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we have a few things, and they've lasted a long time. So Yes, it's uh, funny. There's a wide variation in the quality of stuff. Like I have some IKEA stuff in my living room right now that like I, it's, I have a TV console that I could stand on, and it isn't even going to flex. But then I have these night tables that are in our, our bedroom that if I look at them the wrong way, they'd probably fall apart. <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah. You know, there is a wide, wide, wide range of quality from places like that. It's kind of strange, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I usually, you know, try to figure out if it's something I can make uh, rather than buy. Your, yeah. your, your design aesthetic is very – it's 
you would think because you're from you're from out, just outside the Atlanta, Georgia area, and you know people automatically associate that with folksy and country, and that's not really your style. Your style doesn't seem to fit what people would expect out of that area. So, where do you where does your design style kind of originate from? I don't know really because it, <laughs> it's funny you say that because you know I, I grew up here in Atlanta and my. Uh, uh, parents were and family are very southern you know they have the accent mm-hmm. uh the southern accent i can turn it on sometimes but some <laughs> somewhere along the way i think through middle school and high school i started hanging out with uh new friends from you know the midwest like indiana ohio and i don't know it just kind of rubbed off on me to kind of to say some of the words that they like they were saying you know you mean like soda <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not yeah. pop, right? It's or, soda. They used to make fun of me when I would say oil instead of oil. <laughs> oh, wow. That, yeah, that's so, I, one. so I say, you know, I got to change the oil in my car. <laughs> I actually have I actually have some southern roots. I have family from from Talladega. I have family from most of my most of my family is from West Virginia. So, I, I don't know West Virginia's not I mean, it depends on who you ask. It's not really southern roots, but you know, we grew up having the big Sunday breakfast with biscuits and gravy and all that. We grew up with, you know, the typical Southern, like my, my aunts had fa- had huge farms. And, you know, that's kind of what I grew up, so I can definitely relate to the, uh, the Southern roots. Yeah, and uh, as far as the design part, um, my uh, mom and dad are very country, and uh, my dad uh, started building a log cabin. Wow. And my mom would look at Country Living magazines and all that stuff, you know. So, I, I don't know. I, it just skipped over me somehow. But <laughs> I've, I've made a few things for my mom, uh, like little curio shelves and things that have that country look to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was uh, long before I started the YouTube videos. I'm always fascinated by the amount of, by the breadth of what you know. So, you know, on one, on one video I'll watch and it'll be like this unbelievably intricate scroll saw project. And then the next one will be a Bluetooth speaker where you put the whole kit together from scratch and then build an incredible cabinet for it. And then the next one is an X-Carve project. The, the amount of stuff, I'm pretty sure you have a 3D printer in your shop, if I remember correctly. Also, you have that cabinet yes. with the light, right? Yeah, yeah so dude. you like... You are a renaissance man when it comes to shop stuff. It's, it's rare to find someone that has that much knowledge in all those subjects. What is, what is your like, thought on like, desktop fabrication stuff? And is it Because there's, there's always that controversy, like, is it woodworking? Is it not? Do you just see it as a supplement? Or what, how do you feel about all that kind of stuff? Right. Um, I see it really as... You know, just another tool in the shop that can help me uh, make things for myself and other people. Mm-hmm. So, um, a good example is um, when Inventables first contacted me. They were they were selling the Shapeoko Two mm-hmm. machine, and you know they just out of the blue emailed me and asked me if I would like to try one. And you know, I have to say I was pretty hesitant. I even wrote them back an email asking, you know, are you sure you want me to try <laughs> to put this CNC machine together <laughs> and oh, try boy. to learn how to use it? And they said, 
you know, they were like, yeah, uh, you're the type of person we're looking for. So, you know, someone who's new to it that wow. uh, can demonstrate how uh, really anyone can uh, buy this machine, put it together, and get it to work. Yeah, not everyone. I Mine is literally, I'm <laughs> tomorrow, come tomorrow, tomorrow is the day. Um, I, my, a friend of mine is just taking it off my hands, com- completely cut rate, because I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. it ah. It's just, I, I, I realize, I know why I can't do it. It's not that I don't have the ability. It's that I don't have the time in my shop to devote as much time as needed to put it together. And yeah. it's just not, it's not going to work for me. But man, I admire anyone. And we just had uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Kim and Garrett from YouTube. Um, they yeah. were on and they had just gotten theirs. And he managed to get his working. So, you know, everybody sits on it for a while, waits on it, and then gets motivated and gets it done. So I guess it's doable. It's just not – apparently it's not something I have the ability. Yeah, yeah, and everybody's different when it comes to that, you know. I I grew up, you know, in the – in the years where the erector sets were uh, pretty popular, mm-hmm. uh, where you put these metal pieces together with these horrible uh, sc- uh, bolts and nuts that would just <laughs> make your fingers raw. <laughs> uh-huh. And that tiny little wrench that was super, super thin, yeah, that as you yeah. turned it, your hand would start bleeding. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I made the Ferris wheel and the robot and all that stuff. But, um but it reminded me of that, just putting together this large erector set or yep. uh, or Lego set. Even you know, you're follow, you've got all the parts. You just got to follow the directions. And, it it know, is as best you can. It is crazy when you. We were talking about this with Kim and Garrett, and when you open the box, and it's literally just all these little like cocaine bags. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, what do I do with all this? I don't even like. I have a rough idea, but and there's like. Five different sizes of bolts, and I I, do, I am impressed with what you managed to turn out with yours, though. Like you, that fire tr- that fire truck has to be. I mean, if I had to rank your projects, that fire truck is at the top, if not the top, of the wow. projects you've made. Because I just loved how you kind of rethought it and how yeah. you kind of sliced it to put it together. Yeah, like, it yeah. was. I gotta say, it's. I'm gonna link. I'll probably link that video in the show notes so people can watch it, but. It was just genius the way you did it. And I actually went back and I watched it with my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe what Steve just did. He made out of, he basically sliced a fire truck together with an X carve. <laughs> and we watched it. She's like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because it was actually the 3D printer that kind of gave me the idea that I could slice up something like that. Yeah. And, that makes and sense. Make it in slices and then glue it together, you know? We were talking last night. No- we were talking last night about how. Um, well, first of all, let me just say one thing. The Rubik's Cube Birdhouse is my wife's favorite project of yours, and it oh. was so interesting to her that when I watched that video, she came into the living room and asked me if I could go back and start it over so she could watch it because it just looked so freaking cool when you were done with it. So, oh, cool, thanks. Just, just to get a little plug in for the wife because she does occasionally watch these videos with me. All right. Um, <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. Damn it, I knew I was going to do that. But, oh, you, a lot of your projects, and this was something we were talking about last night, a lot of your projects are music-related. Yeah. You are, a, you are like a music guy. Yeah. Our I, tastes are pretty similar, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm an 80s hard rock metal, hair metal kind of guy. Because <laughs> that, you know, I think everybody 
identifies with the music that was basically their high school years, you know? I would say that's accurate, yeah. So so I graduated in 1985. It was pretty much the height of my favorite, Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all those bands like Motley Crue, Rat, you know, all those hair metal bands. So. <laughs> and I learned how to play guitar. I, I had always played drums because I have an older brother. He's about seven years older than me. Okay. And he must have gotten a drum set at a young age because I remember it just always being there in the house. I don't remember it, you know, being the new thing in the house. It was just always there. Wow. So, but he didn't play them that much and I played them all the time. I would come home from school every day and play the drums. Um, So that comes more natural. But when I got to about 13, I decided I wanted to start learning guitar as well. So I picked up the guitar and then, uh, so based off of that, my love for, you know, those bands in that uh, uh, era and also being able to play drums and guitar, a lot of the projects I do are for uh, either drums, guitar, or just based off uh, the bands I like. How, how, did you, so, how did you learn the guitar? Are you self-taught? Uh, sort of. I uh, signed up for lessons and... Uh, the guy who gave me lessons, uh, he asked me, uh, you know, just bring in a, uh, it was a cassette at that time, a cassette with a song you want to learn how to play. So, hmm. so one of the first, <laughs> yeah, one of the first ones I brought in was, uh, Hold On Loosely ah. uh, by 38 Special. Uh-huh. And he showed me how to play that and I went home and gosh, I must have played that every day for hours so sick of that song by the time you were done yeah so so then the next the next week i would take another tape with another song i wanted to learn how to play and i remember doing uh zz top give me all your loving was one Mm. um and then he showed me like the solo to free bird with the slide (laughs) man Uh, so you were learning some heavy stuff that's impressive man so he was showing me, you know, basically how to play songs. So I didn't really, we didn't really get into scales and practicing music theory and all that stuff, you know. You know, that's that's really funny because when I learned when I learned how to play the piano, my grandfather was very big. He was a he was classically trained, right? So yeah. when my grandfather plays played the piano, he looked at the piano as this, there's this method that you must follow to learn the piano. You must learn your scales. You must learn, if you look, when you're looking at the sheet music, you must learn, if you see this many flats on these lines, it's this key, and you must know that key, and time signatures, and all that. And he taught me, you know, I would say 5% of what I learned. But what inspired me was he got, he used to get sheet music magazine, and... Yeah. Sheet Music Magazine, I would, take the, I would take the current issue, I would sit down at his kitchen table, and I would write the notes above the notes. And then I would go to his piano and I would play the songs. And what got me to learn piano faster than anything else was just playing songs I knew because I could, I could kind of know hearing a song that, okay, this is, a couple of no, this is a couple of notes up, this is like a two notes up, three notes up from where I am, and my hands just after a while, would know, you know, oh, that's, that's from C to E. I didn't really, was terrible at reading music, 
but from repetition, I started to learn how far apart the notes were, and you start to get a feel for music. And once you get that feel, that's when you start getting really good at it. I don't think you can do classical anymore. I don't know how that works for people. I guess some people can learn that way, but I yeah. didn't learn. I didn't learn how to play the piano that way. I learned how to play by ear, and to this day, I can play really well by ear, and I can't. I can barely read music. Like I can read it but not in any meaningful way <laughs> yeah yeah after uh, after about three months of taking the my guitar teacher a cassette with a song on it you know i kind of got to where i could just do it myself listen yeah. to the radio and kind of pick out the main chords and that was enough for me you know sure that's a fun skill f- to show off to your friends too like you play a song it's like oh yeah i can play that give me a few minutes let me work with it <laughs> yeah yeah so so I know a lot of songs, but I only know like the main riff or something. You, yeah, know? you know what? A little bit of knowledge, a little bit of knowledge is still very impressive at parties. It's, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, it's good when you go to like Sam Ash or like Guitar Center and you're playing on the demo instruments and a few people stop to listen to what you're playing. Then you're like, I- I've arrived. I've arrived. Yeah, this is good yeah. enough. Like, this is the closest I'm ever going to come to performing. So I'm, right. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, when I was playing in our cover band on drums, I was much more comfortable doing that. And I, you know, I could play all the drum parts of, you know, we would do like 60, 50 or 60 songs a night. You oh know? my God. Yeah. Who, who were you covering for? Were you covering for a specific band or were you just doing cover, cover stuff? Oh, we would just, we'd do everything from the uh, 70s up until current rock. We would, uh, you know, do Led Zeppelin, like Whole Lot of Love, and then we would do uh, Rat Round and Round. <laughs> then we would do like Alice in Chains, Man in the Box, and then oh, we would man. do like a Godsmack song, um, and Disturbed, That's and amazing. Buck Cherry. You um, must, it must you know. have been a fun show to be at, to have that wide range of music. Like you, could, you could attract anyone knowing that they're going to get something that they like in that, in that evening. Yeah, and we would play, you know... A lot of the core pops, pop rock stuff like you know ZZ Top, and we would do some Bob Seger, um, CCR. Yeah. All right. Yeah, do CCR. The magic word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I found out that CCR was only together for like a couple of years, it really blew my mind because like CCR. I mean, when I was a little, I I was born in 1976, so it was already past their time, right? Yeah, but CCR has been a part of my music life since I was a little kid. And I always thought they had this long, illustrious career. And I was like, holy crap, they were on like seven years. Like, that's it. It's a couple albums and that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I was born in 67. And uh, when I was young and playing my brother's drums, I also had his albums and record players. And one of those was CCR. And I would just play to that whole album. Oh my god! Because the, the drums were pretty straightforward and mm-hmm. simple for a kid to play. On yep. CCR and the music stuff. is the music is very, the music catches you. That's one thing I like about CCR. As far, you know, as far as the older bands go, there was something about their melodies that would just suck you in, and just you get in a zone when you start listening to it. And I know it still happens to me because whenever I play that stuff on Spotify, I start screaming in the car like an animal because I just love to sing along with their stuff. And I'm no John Fogerty, but Man, I love CCR. Yeah, yeah. When when I was growing up, I, you know, in my teen years, I was like, I'd love to be a rock star, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, around when my forties came, and I got in this cover band, that's what it was kind of like. We would play do these small sports bars, you know, mm-hmm. 
And then there was a, a big venue here in town. Uh, back then, it was called Wild Bills. It was like a, one of those big country saloon kind of places oh, that holds cool. like 3,000 people. <laughs> yeah, they've got the big line dancing dance floor, and they've got the bull that you can ride, you know. I've always wanted to try that, but I know I would end up making a complete ass of myself, but I really wanted to try a mechanical bull at some point. Yeah, me too. And (laughs) they would have, you know, pretty big-name country acts and rock acts come through there. And occasionally they would do a a local cover band night, and we got to play on that big stage, and, oh, there was just nothing like that. I mean, you get up there, I would get up there, and I'd have to be careful not to... Uh, hit the kick drum or hit my floor tom or the <laughs> snare, you know, because it would just fill the whole room. It was so loud right. coming through those big speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, it was cool to get that experience of playing a large place like that. Was that your, was that the biggest venue you guys played at? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that was so cool. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you probably you probably remember that forever. I mean, there's doesn't if you're if you're a musician playing a big venue is just huge. Even if it's big a big local venue, so what? It's big. You know, you yeah, have your moment, yeah. and you get to you get to be for one, at least for one night. You get to be a rock star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what's funny is our band got to open for Thirty Eight Special when they came through. Oh, genius! That's awesome. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome because that's the first cassette I took in to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, hold on loosely on guitar to my guitar lessons. That is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I I love stories like that. I you know you get to meet people. You know, you get to meet people you either idolize or just someone super famous that you find yourself becoming a huge fan afterwards. It's just, I, ha- I had my moment, I had my moment last two years ago at Maker Fair. I got to meet Bob Claggett, and that was like the, the epitome because Bob is the whole reason that I'm, I consider myself a maker. So oh, cool. I yeah. know what it's like to, I know what it's like to meet somebody that you really look up to. It's, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah, I got to meet Bob at the Atlanta Maker Fair here, and was that that was when he lived in Savannah or since yeah, then? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was so surprised. Like, wow, he's moving to Kentucky, but you see the house and you see what he's done to it, and you see the amount of land that he has, and I'm like, oh, I totally oh, I know. get it. Yeah, like, that's great. I remember when he did. You see the Lowe's video that he did with the uh, the water slide? I and, did, and yeah. also the one. Recently, with the putt putt with course, putt putt, yep, yeah, and, yeah, and so he he goes out and he's always like, "This is my backyard," and I'm like, "Holy <laughs> crap! Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I got a quarter, I got well, I got a half acre, but I have a quarter of an acre that's actually usable." And I just look out at this and I feel like the king of the castle. And then Bob shows his backyard, and I'm like, "Well, okay, that's as big as my whole neighborhood now." Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. It's a good, yeah. it's, a, it's a good life. I'm, you know, I'm wifey and I have been talking about moving out of new york and me personally i can't get out west far enough you know i want to go to like the mountains where there's like tons and tons of space in the middle of i want my house in the middle of a large chunk of land so that i never have to touch see or hear my neighbors ever again yeah that would be great yeah (laughs) so you have uh, i'm sorry go ahead Oh, I was going to say, with, with the music stuff, though, one, one neat thing I've really enjoyed is the Maker's Rock event that we do every year where you uh, recreate an album cover. I love the Tesla one. Wood or any material. 
Yeah, so I'm having a blast doing that every year. So I really look forward to that. So. The the Tesla one was the Tesla one was really really cool. Thanks. Yeah, that was my first time using the blowtorch. Yep. To uh, burn the wood. I just did that for the first time too. I made a nursery sign for a friend of mine. She asked me if I could make one. I'm like, I can, and I wanted it to look a little different. So yeah, I did the same thing. I took hey, out the torch, yeah. and man, it really does. Like especially on softwoods like pine, the the way it pops the grain on pine is just. You turn blah pine into just gorgeous wood, you know? Yeah, it's really cool. And you, you can overdo it, too. If you, if you like, stop and it puts a big blur, burn mark oh, and yeah. it catches on fire, you uh-huh. know? You, you could <laughs> so turn, you have to practice it. Yeah, yeah, you could turn darkening tannins into shosugiban very quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was fun. I like to try to do something new with every project I make. So. You, and you manage you, that's the other thing that's interesting you've managed to do six years worth of woodworking videos and there's not a lot of I don't want to say it's not really repetition but there's a lot of unique stuff that's happened in your videos like you're not even when you do shop projects they're all different like your workbench was really interesting to watch because the oh, way yeah. you built the storage into it and then you thought about having the two shop vacs in it and you thought it's like you thought of everything in advance and i don't plan that much so when i see someone else that does i'm like wow that is really that's why i need to plan a little more <laughs> yeah i think that comes that specifically came from having a small shop mm-hmm. and trying to squeeze as much as possible into that one little area mm-hmm. you know and still make it compact enough so it's you know, it's a kind of a shallow workbench, so it doesn't stick out into the aisles much. Yeah, and you've done a lot with a very small. Yeah. I mean, I'm amazed at how you can fit a table saw into the space that you do your. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, the trick to that is I've got it over by the garage door, so I can roll it out if I have to on the driveway. It, it it's very clever. Like you did the you did the um, everything's on wheels or rollers or something yeah. so that you can move it. You have the flip-top stand that you made a long time ago. You you really have put a lot of thought into maximizing your space. It's it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. And over time, I've I've learned some tools that maybe I didn't use that often that I don't really need set up all the time. Mm-hmm. So I could you know slide them under a workbench somewhere and only pull them out when I need them. Yeah, my when I first set up my shop, it was like, oh, okay, I need a place for this and a place for this and a place. And eventually, you realize that you know what? I need my table saw set up all the time. And aside from that, maybe my drill press. I really don't need as much room as I'm taking up sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I've kind of figured out that uh, if I don't have a tool that's set up and ready to go that I need to use often, I just won't go out there and make something. Oh, you know, it's it's like a, a barrier for some reason, uh, but so I have to kind of have all my main tools mm-hmm. set up so I can just walk up and turn on the power and go. You know that was that's interesting because I was I was kind of the same way with with dust collection. I initially started out with just a regular shop vac and no dust, no uh, separator. Oh and yeah, same I, here. I would just go tool to tool and plug it in. And what I ended up figuring out was that the the amount of downtime from cleaning filters in the shop vac was literally stopping me from going to the shop because I was like, ah, I don't want to deal with that today. And I ended up, all I added was an Oneida dust deputy, and I bought the big, huge, rigid shop vac. And I have not yet emptied the bin in the shop vac itself. The dust deputy I've entered, 
I've emptied like four times already. And that has made me much more willing to work in my shop where I could just pop the dust. It's on wheels now, pop it all in and my shop stays clean. I don't have to spend hours cleaning up after I'm done, which is, that's another thing that I just hate doing. I mean, you got to do it, but I hate doing yeah, it. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was my barrier is I don't want to clean up and I don't want to move my dust collection and I don't want to spend forever cleaning the filter and emptying the, the vacuum, you know? So yeah. I could totally relate about the tools. Yeah, I've got the, I think it's the Clearview Cyclones, the mini CV06, uh, which is similar to the Dust Deputy mm-hmm. with the bucket, you know. Yeah, it's such a and simple idea, and it works so well. It really does, and it's easy to empty mm-hmm. and everything. And now it's and like, I used to, so when I first set up, I had very little, then a shop vac. When I had very little at all, it was my basement just got covered in dust. And yeah. it was really bad. And my wife was like, you have got to do something about this. I'm like, well, don't worry. At some point, I'm going to build a wall and we'll cut off half the basement and that'll be my shop. But <laughs> that was a hell of a lot less likely to happen. So I just one day I said, you know what? I'm just going to get some kind of thing. And I went and I bought the dust deputy. And now there is just no dust problem in my shop. And that was just one piece. If I got the air filtration thing, that you know, the everyone has the when one that goes on the ceiling. Yeah, that's what I've got. Yeah, see, it's it's. If I just get that now, I will literally have no dust in my shop at all, and that's from one separator. It's it's amazing how much of a difference one little thing like that can make. Yeah, yeah, and the the thing about making videos is, after I finish a project and upload the video, then I go into kind of reset mode mm-hmm. where I go out to the shop and pick up everything, clean up all the cutoffs. And yep blow out all the dust and uh, just kind of reset everything, clean it up and get ready to do the next video. So just making videos that will make you keep your shop clean. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be a slob. I don't want to look on a, like a slob on it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's really funny because early on, like I remember, so my dad always had a shop. Um, my dad was a carpenter and he had a shop and he split time between his shop in the basement and the garage. That was where he did his woodworking. And, it was always a mess. My dad was a great guy, great carpenter, complete slob. <laughs> His shop yeah. was just a mess. And I, when I started woodworking a couple of years ago, I decided that whatever happened, I was not going to let my shop turn into a mess. If nothing else, it would be clean. And I've really worked hard. Like Every, pro- every time I finish a project, the next thing I do before I start the next project is clean. And yeah. I've gotten in that habit to the point where it's just kind of ingrained in me. In fact, over the weekend, I was waiting for something to dry. And while I was waiting for it to dry, I was downstairs in my shop vacuuming up dust and cleaning this up, getting all my batteries back on chargers and making sure all my hand tools are on one shelf and all the power tools are cleaned up and ready to go again. And you know what? That really does save you. Like when you want to get down and start working and you could just walk into your shop and start doing things rather than having to reset or move stuff, it really does make a huge difference in how productive you can be. Yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, I do that between videos, and that way I, you know, that's one less thing that will uh, be a barrier to me going out to my shop and starting a project, you know. What's- as long as it's clean. Everything's in its place, so the project goes a lot smoother because you know where everything is and everything's charged and ready to go. Like you said, Mm -hmm. and there's not stuff everywhere that you can trip over, you know, it's safer too. So, yeah. Of all the stuff that you've done over the years, what is your, what's your, what's your killer project? The one that you're just like, 
that you love, and it doesn't have to necessarily be your most popular, but the one that the one that really resonates for you that you really love looking at. I'm pretty sure it's got to be the the electric guitar that I made with the X Carve. The blue one was that the yeah, blue one? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. Yeah. Because I I'd never I dabbled around with making guitar bodies and stuff, but mm-hmm. I'd never made a full guitar with a neck and fretboard and everything, you know. And uh, Inventable sent me the upgraded X Carve, the larger one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so part of that was to assemble the bigger machine and get it up and running, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, to do the guitar, it just it took probably about three months of planning and because before I could design the guitar and the parts to be cut, I had to order all the guitar parts like the pickups and the bridge and the nut and the tuners and you know all of those parts first, and then design the body where all that stuff would be housed. So you have to make sure all the recesses are cut to the right size and everything and so that everything will actually feed through (laughs) yeah and then you have to make sure the neck will fit in the body and that it's (laughs) at the right height for the bridge that you buy and you know there's just a lot of things that have to work together a lot of moving parts that is Uh, it is it is a big big undertaking i mean restoring guitars is a big undertaking so making them is just like that's a whole other level yeah, yeah. And so when I finished that and it actually worked, you know, <laughs> I was like, I actually accomplished something big here. You know, that was that was a big moment for me. That is that is a pretty so. big accomplishment. I mean, m- a lot of people play guitar. I don't know a whole lot that have actually made them. So yeah, yeah. that's cool. I I I always like watching when somebody's enthusiastic about what they're doing, even if it's not something I'm totally interested in. So like watching watching you make that guitar was pretty damn cool because you were excited as hell when you were done with it. Yeah, and a close second to that is the acoustic Telecaster guitar I made out of an eight foot two by four. How did I miss that? Because it, it was a two by four contest project, and you were limited to an eight foot two by four. You know, you can make whatever you want out of this two by four from Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever. You know. So I picked out a two by four and then I figured out I had to actually conserve the wood and figure out how to cut the parts out of the two by four so I wouldn't run out of wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a challenge itself. But it was, a lo- it was a lot of slicing that two by four into much thinner pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it now. I don't know how I missed this video. I, I mean, it was five years ago, so it is possible that in my binging yeah. of Steve Carmichael weekend I probably missed it but <laughs> but that was wow. that was that was fun too and at the end as I did it I saved I had to save all the cutoffs because I might need them you know if I was going to run out of wood wow. um, so at the end I had the a bucket where I was putting all the cutoffs and I showed how much was left over after making the guitar and how much how much was actually left over yeah, it was you know less Minimal. than a five gallon bucket size of <laughs> pile of scraps. That's so. amazing. So you made you made an acoustic guitar. Well, yeah, it was that... basically a, like a Fender Telecaster, but it was hollow. You know, like an acoustic guitar with a hole in it. You know, who who actually and, was this? Was from this was was this done by the Modern Maker podcast at that point, or was the two by this was a different two by four challenge? 
this two by four contest was from Summers Woodworking. Okay. Uh, Brian Summers. Did Brian you, Gidney. Did you win? Yeah. 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 All I right. Won that one particular thing. So that was holy uh, crap. Just icing on the cake. Not only was I able to do that, and then. Damn. I actually want something. So. I mean, I think you would almost. I. I mean, I'm sure you probably showed it. And somebody went, "Oh, geez, that's it. It's over. We got our winner. All right, fine." <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, and there's always like, that's in the beginning. That's what I did a lot was enter contests to try to win. Uh, you know, pocket old jig or whatever. You know. Hey, you know and, what? Yeah, you got. <clears throat> why not? Yeah. So, but. You know, all those contests, there's so many good uh, makers and woodworkers out there that it's just hard to compete, you know? Yeah, and the, you... the level's gone up, too, over the years. Like, people have really... It was it it went from traditional woodworking stuff to, holy crap, you did that? You yeah. Know? And yeah. everyone's evolving together, which is kind of neat. You can see... You can definitely see not just... You know, you watch enough YouTube, you'll obviously see the production quality has gone through the ceiling now like everybody's producing amazing videos that look amazing sound amazing have excellent editing whatever but the actual quality of the work as people have gotten you know more experience has gone up quite a bit yeah yeah and i think back then like 2012 2013 there just weren't as many on youtube right. you know right. and uh a lot of the those contests were you know you have to post a youtube video to enter and I think it was at a time where a lot of people just were kind of hesitant to put their stuff out there in public like that, you know. Um, but man, that that sure has changed because now there's I subscribe to like over a thousand YouTube channels on, on woodworking and making, and also a lot some music stuff too, like playing guitars and stuff, but uh, and guitar making. Uh, but yeah, I subscribe to so many channels and that's kind of what I do at night. You know, instead of watch TV, I'll mm -hmm. look up my YouTube subscriptions and see who posted a video that day. And I go through and watch it as many as I can, you know, that's it's like a thousand. Like, cause I, so I've had a couple of people since I started doing this podcast, talk about the, the amount of subscriptions that they have on YouTube and I've had people with 400, 500, now you with 1,000. I, I, oh, my God. I have 160-something, and I find it almost unmanageable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's cool about it is, you know, every night I have probably 30 or 40 new videos from, you know, just people out there on YouTube <laughs> that I can go through and watch, and that's my entertainment, you know? Who do you find, Who? where do you find your inspiration as far as other makers? Like, who's your, who do you go to the most for ideas, or who do you find yourself getting ideas from the most? Um, well, when I started, it was really, there were like three or four key people that were doing it that made me think, hey, I, I might be able to make videos like this, and that was Steve Ramsey. Of course. It was probably the first one I discovered. And then Lainey Shaughnessy, he was doing videos at the time. He and Steve had a whirly gig contest that I entered. Um, and then there was uh, Mark Spagnuolo, the Wood Whisperer. Of course. And Matt Vanderlist, he had a podcast. 
uh, that he was doing. And who else? Um, those were like the main four people I discovered first. And that was back in when I had an iPod. <laughs> and I was looking up, I, I discovered podcasts, just like the audio podcasts. Mm-hmm. And there were some video ones too. Like Mark did videos. Yeah, Mark's um, been doing, Mark was ahead of the curve a long time ago. Like he was, he yeah. was making video before anybody was really making video, which is incredible to me. Yeah, but nowadays, I'd there are several people that I watch immediately as they post something, and, and that would be uh, David Picciuto. Oh, I, I love like his David. Stuff. I love David. And Bob Claggett, the Jimmy Duresta, those three guys. Oh, yeah. and then Also, and, like, uh, uh, Frank Hoarth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a lot of stop motion and stuff, which is cool. Yeah, his shop is yeah. just the thing dreams are made out of for most of us. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he showed that, when he did, he did a video, was some point last year, where he got this Sedona slab and he made a, um, a, a barn door out of it for his kitchen. And it was just this, he put it on this, his giant CNC. And I'm just like, this is a world I just don't live in. Yeah, <laughs> That's I it. Know. It's a world I don't <laughs> live in. Like that yeah. wood slab alone probably costs more than all the tools in my shop. And just it was it was amazing, and he did the bow ties to keep it, you know, because it was a big crack right up the middle. And he did his own bow ties to keep it together, and then did the hardware and just hung this giant slab on his wall in his kitchen to cover his pantry. And I'm like, that is freaking incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember it's that amazing. video. He's he. I loved the eyeball when he did the eyeball too. When he turned the eyeball. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just, you know what it is? He's just such a creative guy, and his processes are like, wow, how do you, I wouldn't even, I have no, I have really bad spatial orientation, so like when uh-huh. I watch people carve spoons, it confuses the hell out of me. You know, just the whole process. It's like, bandsaw boxes, I can kind of wrap my head around it, because it is kind of straightforward, but yeah. like carving spoons, and turning the, when he did the, uh, turned the eyeball, and the eight ball, all this, all that kind of stuff. It's like Jesus. I just don't understand this. Like yeah, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I love his Christmas ornaments that he does every year because uh, he makes things look like snowflakes and you know he, when he when he turns them on the lathe, it, it's pretty cool. He's a tr- really impressive. He's a true. He's a true artist, and that's something that in, in the woodworking YouTube community, I feel like that's lacking. Um, a lot of woodworking projects are very utilitarian, and yeah. we tend to forget, you know, the beauty of making something out of wood. You know, it's like almost, I had this conversation with one of my other guests that it's almost like there's a certain down-the-nose look at, like, crafting stuff, because something that's just beautiful for being beautiful is like, oh, that's such a waste. Why would you make that? You yeah. Know? It, 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 yeah. It, it really is almost a, almost a form of, like, snobber, snobbery and elitism. Where yeah. people just don't like, like, you just did um, on back-to-back videos, you made a wooden Union Jack and a wooden flag. Which, yeah. by the yeah. way, I gotta tell you, the idea that you could get stained, dyed at home, the, I did not know that. And I'm like, oh my god, I need to try that now. Like, to get, oh. to get your stain dyed, I, I didn't know they did that. Yeah, I started uh, a long time ago, it's like six months ago, I wanted to do that project, and... I had seen some videos from different people, several different people, and they all used the same stain and colors. It's unreal. <laughs> so, so it's like a, a known thing for 
the people that make those flags mm-hmm. uh, where to get the stain uh, color well, it's, for those. It's so. great because now, like, that, that's one of those things I always talk about. When I watch videos, I'm not always watching to make the thing. Sometimes I'm just watching to learn the process and maybe pick something up. And when I saw you use dyed stain, I was like, oh, my God, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd look for years for stain that would be that vibrant, mm-hmm. like blue, red, yellow, yeah. purple, you know. And for years, you just couldn't get anything other than the basic brown shades, you know. Mm-hmm. And so finally, they have something you can get uh, tinted stain, which is really oh cool. Oh my god! And it, it just in my head now. Of course, the way things work with me now in my head, I'm like, okay, what projects have you been putting off because you couldn't get the stain for it? You know, because that's the first yeah. thing you start thinking is what can I apply this to? Because this is something I want to try. And then yeah. my wife hit me with the other one. So one of the dumb things I do, I have probably about forty rattle cans on my paint shelf downstairs. And I use a lot of rattle cans, more than a human being should, because I'm always oh, yeah, looking too. for that perfect <laughs> color. And my wife goes, you know, you waste so much money on these stupid rattle cans. Why don't you just go to Home Depot and get the paint pre-mixed? You can pick any color you want. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to buy a gallon. She goes, don't buy a gallon. Buy a sample, you dope. And I'm like, oh, my God. I could buy a $5 sample, and that would probably be perfect for a project. Oh, my yeah. God. And it just... What have I been doing? Like, why am I doing this with these rattle cans that are close when I could probably just walk over to the paint wall, pick the exact color I want, and have them make it for me? Yeah. And and I don't, because I never, you know what it is, I just never wanted to buy big quantities, but now it's like, oh, yeah, I can buy samples. My wife is smarter than me, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've kind of branched out into using acrylics. You mentioned the the fire engine project Mm -hmm. I did. I painted that with a brush with the acrylic paints, like from the art store. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, I have to say that was kind of very time, time consuming and uh, required a lot of patience <laughs> to try to paint all the little numbers and all the little. It came out like, so good, though. The ladder and you know, all, all that stuff. Um, but it. It turned out looking so cool when I was done. I was like, wow, this is really neat. It was so funny because you did it right around Christmas, too, which was like, it was just because fire truck, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just because of the time when I was a kid, but fire trucks and Christmas are a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even in my small town, like at Christmas, on Christmas, uh, the day before Christmas Eve, usually, the local fire department, Santa Claus, gets on the fire truck, and they run around and they throw candy canes out to the kids and... It's like, wow, I just, I've always associated fire trucks with Christmas. And there it was, Steve Carmichael doing a fire <laughs> engine. And it's just, so, I loved, I don't know what it is. It just had, I had this warm, fuzzy feeling when I watched that video. It was, yeah, it was I cool. think a fire truck is like the uh, uh, quintessential kid's present when right. they're little. It was, right. it was basically, it was fire trucks and toy trains, like, I don't know, like, maybe we're just from a generation where that was a thing, because, like, you know, most kids probably don't even know what a toy train is anymore. Is that something? Is that an app? (laughs) That's on my list to do as well, a toy train. Oh, my God. I always wanted to make one of those, like, really high-end, like, wooden toy train sets, but there's no babies in the family to make one for. Yeah. And I want to make it for somebody, so then I have an excuse to make it, but... Yeah, those I always thought those were so neat. Like just making making a whole bunch of track and then just making a whole bunch of cars, hold them together with magnets and ah, oh, 
I love I love those classic wooden toys. There's just such a there's such a nice tactile thing about them. You know, the, yeah. the pull along puppies and the the wooden toy trains. It just and even those things that they have at like dentist office with the bent wire and the beads. We, oh yeah, like, yeah. I've always loved that <laughs> stuff. You know. Yeah, me too. What um? And what was there's the, something about giving a kid a, a wooden gift that you made. You know. I think a young enough kid would still appreciate yeah. it. I really do. Like, oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> as long as I can't choke on it. <laughs> oh, of course, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that would be safety first. Of course, safety is the number one priority. <laughs> Um, what was, so you said you were doing, you had started woodworking as a kid. What, what was woodworking as a kid like? Like, what were you, we know, you told the story of the coat rack. What other things were you tinkering around with as a kid? Oh, um, let's see. Well, you had mentioned, uh, your dad had a messy shop Mm -hmm. and mine was the same. (laughs) Which is why we don't. There you go. There you go. See, it doesn't automatically, it's not genetic. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, It was funny. If something broke around the house, he would fix it, replace it with something, and then he would keep the old broken thing in the in the shop. <laughs> so it was just piled up with old like washing machine motors and oh my you God. know all the stuff that didn't work. You know right. that's where it just kind of ended up instead of throwing it away. So your dad's shop was yeah. basically like my grandfather's garage. It was basically the <laughs> boneyard for the family. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I, he had. Uh, basic tools out there like he had a bench top stuff like a drill press Mm -hmm. a a little small bandsaw Uh, but when i first started i had a a handy andy toolkit it was a little kids uh, like sheet metal toy box and it had a little saw with a plastic handle a screwdriver oh my god a hammer some pliers and they were all like primary colors, you know. It was like kind of like a toy set, but it you could actually use it. You can buy one of. for eighty three bucks on Etsy right now. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've actually looked them up on eBay. And the funny thing is, I've still got the the case and the uh, plastic saw. Oh wow! The plastic handle saw. This that is was so in, cool. But all the other uh, tools they were all broken or lost along the way. But I've still got part part of it. You know? Wow! But yeah, if you look up Handy Andy Toolkit on like eBay, you'll see I'll, I, see that. This is the coolest thing I've ever... Like, I would have killed to have this as a kid. <laughs> yeah. This is so awesome. I, I kind of started with that, and a lot of it was just finding wood cutoffs that he had. Mm-hmm. And I would just nail things together and try to make a box or something. Yep, that, you know. that was me. Yeah, and then I remember uh, it was Easter. I took a piece of quarter-inch plywood... And I wanted to make a sign that said, like, Happy Easter with a Easter bunny face on it, you know? Okay. And I, I found this in the shop not long ago. And I can't remember what I did with it. I'm sure it's in a box somewhere. But but I actually drew on the plywood the letters and everything. And then I used a screwdriver and a hammer and just kind of... Oh, my God. <laughs> indented along the line. Uh-huh. You know, just hammering the screwdriver, making indentions. Wow. All along the lines until it turned out to be this, uh, almost like a carved sign, but not really carved. It was just kind of hammered with, oh my a, God. with a slotted screwdriver. That's so know? cool. Uh, but you can read it and everything. So that was my, my first, I guess, CNC project. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> with a screwdriver and a hammer. Yeah, Carmichael numeric control. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. I have to post, put a picture of that on Instagram. Yeah, you really do. Like that sounds that sounds pretty damn awesome. <laughs> yeah. But that and what's funny when I found it, I had completely forgotten I had ever done that. And it's kinda kinda neat to find something like that. Did that's amazing. But, like that's that's pretty advanced stuff. Like how old were you? Roughly? Uh, it was probably, I was probably less than 10, you know, Holy seven crap. or eight or nine or something. <laughs> you were like and a then, prodigy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think so. If you saw it, you'd think it <laughs> Listen, I've seen what some 10-year-olds can produce. That's pretty damn impressive, no matter how it looks. That you thought then, to do it, that's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. And then another one I still have is, uh, I told you my mom and dad were into, like, building the log cabin mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I actually... Took dowels and cut them up into small pieces and glued them together. You know, stacked them on top of each other to make like a what kind of looked like a log cabin. Wow! It ended up looking like a seven-layer s'more. <laughs> <laughs> if you can picture that, it was like a you know uh, two pieces of plywood or the uh, graham cracker and the layers of logs in between, like you know. Marshmallows hey. or something, <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> or chocolate, but, but yeah. So that, that's something I still got. That so kind of knowing that you were you were such an artsy kid. So the question is, and you know, you can tell me no. You tell me you don't want to answer. That's fine. Yeah. What is your day job? Oh, uh, I am a uh, business analyst in the IT department Damn of it. a large uh, poultry company. The, rec- the, the, the record is perfect. Everyone that I've asked this question to, and you are no different, so congratulations, you've joined a club that's exclusive to every other guest that's been on this show. Oh. You are in <laughs> some computer-related field, and yeah. you have a passion for making. And I have a theory that the computer thing <clears throat> is just such a burnout job where your sanity comes from doing something tactile and tangible with your hands. And there you are. And I, just, I don't know why I knew that about you, because I didn't know it, but I had a feeling that if I asked that question, that was the answer I was going to get. So Yeah, yeah, I've heard other people talk about that as well, and I really identify with that, that there's something about coming home, not looking at a screen anymore, mm-hmm. and being able to make something with your hands. It's, that It's, it's so rewarding. It, yeah, yeah. It's... And, with being a business analyst, I get I I'm kind of like the middleman between the um, employees that work in the other departments and the IT development group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get to spend a lot of time in meetings talking to people around the company, mm-hmm. and then come back and bring that to the IT department and uh, talk about how we can improve systems and things for them, mm. you know, to make things easier for them. Uh, so, I do get a, a lot of FaceTime with other people, mm-hmm. which which I really like, and I've done a lot of training before, so I think that uh, helps me a lot with doing the videos. Definitely. And talking in front of a camera and that sort of thing. You Your persona on camera, and, and this is something that you get so right, you are just an excited, animated, happy person on camera, and yeah. it shows like... you. You know, the way you kind of smile, you have this giant smile when you're on camera and your hands are animated and you're bouncy and it's like, it just comes off like 
you enjoy doing this so much. It, yeah. It's so infectious. It's like, hi, I'm Steve from the Carmichael Workshop, and you got that big, huge smile on your face, and you're just, <laughs> you are just beyond happy to be there. And I, I love that. I love when people find, not just find their passion, but when their passion translates outward. And yours, for what you're doing, translates tremendously well. Um, I notice your, your comfort on camera from your earlier videos is night and day. Like, you have yeah. gotten so much better. Not that your old videos were bad, but you right. were nowhere near as comfortable as you are now. And I watch you now, and it's almost like watching a different person. Yeah, it's definitely a progression. And when I first started, I remember thinking, you know, I've got to look like and act like I'm the uh, the expert here when I do this video. And, you know, over time you figure out that you just be yourself. And, you know, uh, you know I'm goofy and always making jokes and stuff and laughing and mm-hmm. smiling anyway. But... So I look back at my older videos and I was like, what was I, what was I thinking? It was so, it's so weird because why, when I was, why am I talking like that? I got you know? to see you. I literally got to see you transform because I discovered your videos. I believe it was, well, I can probably tell you when I discovered your videos. It was the end of 2017. I discovered your videos yeah. and that's when I started watching. And like the first weekend or the first two weekends that I had found out about you, I was just binging your videos because, as I've said on the show many times, that's what I do. I find someone new. I go back and I watch their whole back catalog of videos. And I was I watched you evolve from, you know, Steve the teacher to Steve the, the kind of guy that I would want to hang out with, you know, the kind of guy that would be fun to work in a shop with. And yeah, you yeah. really, I, I got to say, you, you've kind of found your groove now. And in the last couple of years worth of videos, and it's yeah. like, yeah, this is this is this is this is a good thing he's got going on here, and you've stuck to it. You haven't changed your productions the same, you know. You really, I I, I love that you've kind of found where you're comfortable and just stayed there, you know. And yeah. you're still well, producing, you. you're still producing good stuff. A lot of people get stale when they do that, and your videos don't come off as stale because of the variety of stuff that you do. It's you really have struck a great balance, and I, I don't. I always joke with my guests that I don't like to do kiss-ass segments. You know, I do yeah. end up doing them with most of them, and I'm kind of doing it with you now. But <laughs> I do like I like the variety of projects you do. I like the I like that you've done everything from electronics to musical instruments to traditional woodworking projects to stuff that like whoa that was unique, like the fire truck or the Rubik's cube birdhouse, which. I just, I had no idea how you were going to put that thing together, by the way. And when you finally finished it, I was like, I just don't believe that even worked. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I really do like what you've managed to accomplish. And I like how you've, like I said, you've kind of found your groove, you've found your niche, and you found yourself on camera. And it was kind of fun to watch you find yourself on camera because the Steve that's there today that everyone knows and loves isn't the Steve that was there in the beginning. The projects are the same, but you are just you're just like a ball of happiness now. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. so infectious. I, I can't, I always say that, you know, you can't really convey it until you've watched the videos, but when, when you're in a bad mood and you know that like your smiling face is going to pop up on screen, you're going to do a fun project. <laughs> like all your projects are fun. Even your shop furniture, like you did those pencil holders, right? And, yeah. and now let's, let's, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but everyone does pencil holders. Everyone, right, it's yeah. one of those things that everyone does. 
and I enjoyed the video. I was like, wow, this is just kind of a fun little project, you know, the way you put them together and clamping with the tape and the, the yeah. fact that you actually yeah. explained the cutting, the angles and drawing. What The other thing you did that was like genius was taking the paper template and running your fingernail over it to get the side. I was like, that's pretty freaking smart. Yeah, so. yeah, it was the easiest way. I couldn't get the pencil in there <laughs> to draw the outline because the the hole was too small. Yeah, and I just I love stuff like that. Like I've picked up so many great little tips from you over the years, and I really do enjoy your videos. I'm a I'm a huge fan. It was a, it's kind of an honor to have you on. You know. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. In fact, that means a lot. When but. the day you followed me on Instagram, I'm, I showed it to my wife. I'm like. Holy crap! Look who started following me on Instagram. I have no idea. Like it was like it's, that's freaking Steve Carmichael following me on Instagram. Holy crap! Yeah, that's one thing I really try to do is find uh, all the new people that are just getting started. If anybody follows me, and try to follow them back if they're you know if they're making things mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And because it's it really is a community, you know. It is. Uh, it's two way street. And, you get in what um, you put. You get out what you put yeah. in. <laughs> And one thing about the older videos, you know, I go back and watch some of those and I kind of cringe at the way I was talking or trying to act, you know. Mm -hmm. But, and I often thought about uh, hiding those or getting rid of them. But then I thought, well, no, you know, a new new person starting up, they need to see how you can progress from, totally, you know, being nervous, unable to speak and unable to, like, act normally in front of the camera because it's awkward Mm -hmm. and you kind of progress to you know being more comfortable with it anything coming up that you have planned or scheduled or anything that you want to plug before we uh wrap it up uh no not really i i'm working on a video right now i'm making a it's a music related thing i'm making a pedal board for my Guitar effect pedals. Oh, see that again. That's so. That's the kind of video that somebody is going to want to know how to make, and they're going to go searching for it, and they're going to find. That's that's what I wanted to mention. That you thought about deleting your old videos. Someone that's had a catalog like yours is it's a really bad idea, because that's that's like you've become almost a reference library with the amount of stuff that you've made. Yeah, so it would yeah, kind of be terrible wild. to lose that. So yeah, don't don't yeah. do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but. Yeah, this will probably, you know, of course the woodworkers will like to see the woodworking stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, it'll probably appeal more to, like, guitar players and stuff. Everybody too. gets everybody And there gets are a lot of guitar else. players out there who have made their own pedal boards, too, so Every, uh, there's there are a lot of videos out there about that. Everyone so. gets everyone gets something else out of your, out of, well, out of anyone's videos. You know, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm going to make this project guy. I'm a, I like to learn the process so I could pick something else up, you know? What yeah. I the last question I want to ask you um is something I ask everybody else. What does fulfillment and satisfaction look like for you? What is your what are you going to what's going to happen where you go I'm good. I'm good. Like that's that that makes me happy. I can almost I could stop there and be happy. What what is that what does that look like for you? Ah, uh, for me it's uh when other people have made projects because they saw it in my videos and they were able to use my plans. And um, and I can say that that's already happened a lot, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like I made a, a bandsaw box for my daughter's birthday. I love that. That was beautiful. I, it's kind of whimsical Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. looking 
And I shared, I just put the PDF, I think on uh, Google Docs or something, where I could share a link with people. And so many people have made that box. And uh, it's funny because a lot of people have made it a lot better than I did <laughs> at the time. <laughs> hey. uh, but but it's funny because I can show, I whenever I see somebody made one, I'll show it to my daughter. And I was like, you know, you remember that box I made you? And she still has it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, these other people have made these, and it, that's so cool. And uh, probably the the biggest thing is I've gotten um, emails from people in other parts of the world who uh, teach kids woodworking skills and things, and they use my plans and stuff. Like uh, I did a video on making a tongue drum. Oh yeah, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is basically a, a box with slits cut in the top of it to to form tongues, different sized tongues that you can hit with a mallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I'll get pictures from these kids in a classroom who all made a tongue drum using, and I and I could tell from the ones they made that they used my template. You know, and it's stuff like that. It's like, wow. That's amazing. You know, I had an impact on somebody out there. That's, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's funny you say that, you you know, having an impact and inspiring people to do things. It seems to be the common thread when I ask that question that the, from, you know, from makers that have a YouTube channel and it's, we want to inspire people to do this. You know, it's not, it's not just a matter of us making a cool project and getting a lot of views. It's when somebody says they made something from us and, you know, same sentiment you expressed that that's something that's more rewarding than anything else. When somebody comes back and says, I made this. Thank you. This is awesome. Yeah. And I've made so many friends from doing this as well. So many people I've just met online and eventually like at a woodworking show, I'll meet them in person. It's like, you know them already. Yeah. Um, so that, that's really been a big part of it too. And whenever I'm shooting a video, I usually have, uh, people that uh, watch my video, comment on my videos, people I've worked at, I've, I've met at woodworking shows and stuff. Uh, a lot of times that's who I have. I have somebody in mind whenever I make a joke or something because mm. I'm thinking, oh, this person will get a kick out of what I'm just about <laughs> to say. You know, so so a lot of it is a lot of the stuff I do in my videos. Like if I make stupid jokes or something, it's, it's probably because I know... Uh, Robert over in England is going to get a kick out of me mm-hmm. uh, showing some uh, flake bars from England that my mother-in-law brought me. I love flake. in the video or you know oh, things like that. Flake is the know? best. <laughs> the only thing better than flake is arrow. If you've never had English chocolate, flake and arrow are the king and queen of English. Chocolate. Oh yeah, yeah. My wife was born there. They came over when she was a baby. So my mother-in-law's here. Uh, she goes over to visit once a year mm-hmm. and she'll bring home a you know pretty much a suitcase just for sweets yep quality street <laughs> you get your quality street every year oh yeah, yeah. and the uh, <laughs> uh uh pastilles i think never had never had those so it's real i had a friend who used to go to england three times a year and whenever she would come back she would hand me just one of those big canvas shopping bags just loaded with english candy because she knew i loved english candy so much and i Damn, I miss working with her because I haven't had that stuff in a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's good. It's, the chocolate and stuff is different than it, it is here. It, I don't think US. people in Europe understand. I mean, they probably inherently think so because they think everything they do is better. But 
the English chocolate, for those of you that have not had English chocolate compared to American chocolate, English chocolate has like three times the butterfat in it. And it is yeah. just this rich, melt-in-your-mouth, velvety-tongued experience that you will never get from American chocolate. You just And I'm yeah. a chocolate lover, and it just, nope, not going to happen. Yeah, even if you go to the store and try to buy something that you think is English, like Cadbury <laughs> or something, yeah. you know, it's, it's still not. So the pro, tip, the pro tip that I learned, if you have a store, so they're around the country, there's a store called National Wholesale Liquidators. And oh. in their food aisle... They have um, their food aisles are divided by country. If you go into the English aisle and you look at the chocolate, you will find interspersed English and American versions of English chocolate. And the secret is, and I'm, I'm giving this away on the podcast for free, the secret to finding out if the chocolate is from Europe is you look at the nutritional label. If there's two ways you can tell, either the nutritional label will not be covered up and it'll say kcals instead of calories on it. That is not a United States thing. Yeah. Or there will be a sticker over the nutritional label with a U.S. nutritional label. That means it's imported. Ah. There's your, see there? I, I learned you something. That is, yeah. that is yeah. the trick. If you see an, a label over the nutritional label, that is imported chocolate. Go ahead and buy it and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And trust me, I'm yeah. a fat dude. I know all about chocolate. Uh, hey, same here. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on that, though. Yeah, so. you've made uh, – yeah. I didn't want to bring that up, but I'm glad you did because you have made – exceptional progress on that i am very proud of you man yeah yeah it's, it kind of goes back and forth and yeah. you but it's trending waves, it's but, trending in know. the right direction you've done amazingly yeah, well on the, that. you know exercising and making different cho- food choices mm-hmm. you know it really makes a difference and you kind of have to do both you know yeah. to make make progress yeah my problem is funny because i always made halfway decent food choices but i'm just a lazy bastard so, you know, I would eat well and then sit on my ass, and that was not conducive to losing weight, so. Yeah, at, at work, we had a walking challenge, and uh, the goal was to walk 10,000 steps a day for uh, four weeks. Which is way straight. harder than people realize, by the way. Yeah, and I had to actually make time to walk and schedule it throughout the day so that uh, it wouldn't be 11 o'clock at night, and I still had to walk 8,000 steps. <laughs> I used to do it because I wanted to hit the 10,000. I would leave my Fitbit on and walk around the dining room table until I'd hit my 10,000. So trust yeah, me, yeah. I've been there and done it. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten – I know you know, all the streets in our neighborhood. I, can, <laughs> I know the path that will get me like 6,000 steps and the path that will get me 8,000 steps. <laughs> Uh, you know, after doing it for four weeks, but but yeah, it really is. The key is just making time to do it and taking that time for yourself. That you know. that really is the key to everything, isn't it? Just finding yeah. finding out what's important, prioritizing it a high enough at a high enough place so that you can make the time to do it. I think that's a pretty good lesson for everybody. Actually, you can yeah. you can find time to do anything if you prioritize it high enough. Yeah, just like the woodworking. Yep. You know. Yep. Just got to make time, schedule time for yep. it. My time is from 6.30 a.m. until about 9.30 a.m. That's my, my shop time. That, oh, good. That's because yeah. I get up early enough. My wife leaves for work at like 6.30. I shoot out of bed like I'm out of a cannon, make myself some breakfast, and then it's either in the shop doing something or at my computer designing something or working on something for a client so that I can work on it in the shop. So, yeah, you, if you really want to make something work or you want to get something done, just prioritize it higher, and you'll figure out how to make it work. You you have more yeah. time in your day than you realize you do. 
Uh, you just have yeah. to figure out what prioritized thing you need to fit into that time. I think that's where most people fall on their face a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it's all about. I think we're gonna ra- I think we're gonna wrap this up. Um, all right. Is uh, where would you like to send people to find you? And and every link, any links that you give, I'll make sure they're in the show notes so people can just click and find you. Okay. Yeah. If you just go to my website, it's uh, thecarmichaelworkshop.com. Or you can just type in CarmichaelWorkshop.com. Cool. Or just Google my name, Steve Carmichael. It'll come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on my website, you can join my newsletter. I've also got all the social media links there where you can go to find my YouTube channel, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those different things. I think I've still got a MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got me playing drums on it or something, probably. Now you know everyone's going to want to find your MySpace, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the best place is the CarmichaelWorkshop.com. All right, thank you it's so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been an honor to have someone with your level of experience and your longevity on the show it kind of gives like i said in the beginning it gives us a little bit of clout here (laughs) well thanks for having me i've enjoyed it and it's been kind of cool to kind of uh revisit some of these things back in the the past that i've kind of i don't think about that much there you go so now now we know what's going to be on your instagram i have a feeling you're going to be out in your shop in a few minutes looking for that that sign so you can all experience it on instagram (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah definitely so that's going to do it for this week everybody um you can find the show in case it was shared with you and you didn't download it yourself you can find it at becausewemake.com Um, In the show notes, there's a link where you can send us a voice message to the show. And if you feel like kicking in a few bucks and subscribing, um, you can do that. Although I'd honestly prefer you share the show and spread the word and write a review rather than donate. I don't need the money as much as I need the reviews. Okay, that's going to do it. Um, We'll have another show next week, and I'm looking forward to talking to you then. Catch you later, guys. 